You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. It may look like an ordinary podcast, but this one's bigger on the inside, and it can travel anywhere in time and space. your sonic screwdrivers and your jelly babies. Grab your hats, scarves, and tighten your bow ties. You're the companion now, so get ready to run with your hosts, Jason Hunt and Paul Gann. This is Talking Time Lord. And welcome back to another fantastic episode of Talking Time Lords. This is episode number 49, The Day of the Doctor Story Review. I'm, as always, one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me, my podcasting companion through time and space, we have Paul Dan. I don't have anything clever to say. Oh, darn. (laughs) (laughs) How's it going, Paul? It's going. It's been a bit nutsy around here with your work schedule, my work schedule, and just everything else that you know, you're still in, and all this fun stuff, so things have been a little irregular here. No, just scheduling-wise, not battle-wise. Get your minds out of the gutter, folks. I can't believe I just went there. Anyways, we are back, and I'm glad to be back. So. Oh, dear. What have I, what have I done? There's my, my Star Wars reference out of the way. Who knows? Okay, well, we've got a lot to talk about with this episode, but before we get into our second-to-last Dalek story review episode, uh, because we are winding these down real fast, uh, but before we get there, there's some possibly extremely exciting news that, as of the time of this recording, just (laughs) hit the internet. And by just, I mean within the last 20 hours or so it's so new that i hadn't even seen it yet this is weird that i found a news article before you did paul um you're normally <laughs> the one that you know the one who sends me all the news articles and for whatever reason i found this one and i was like what so now we do have to take this with great we interrupt your previously recorded podcast with some breaking news uh hey everybody so when we recorded this podcast originally we were talking about a rumor about something that we actually now have confirmed. Yes! So we're we're going to go ahead and interrupt what we our previously recorded news segment and, and just tell you that what we were about to talk about here actually happened. Now, this is really exciting and also extremely serendipitous for our podcast because just two episodes ago, um, yeah. weren't we just talking about this, Paul? Yes. Yes, yes, we were. <laughs> so... Power of the Daleks, 
is a six-part episode featuring the second Doctor, Patrick Troughton, in his first ever episode, so, you know, right after his regeneration, in which he runs across the Daleks. We've reviewed this episode after watching some uh, reconstructions that we found on the internet. But now, we have confirmed news from the BBC that they are going to be releasing an animated version of the story 50 years to the minute that it was first broadcast. Yes! (laughs) Oh, I'm excited. This is... Oh. I I just don't know how to respond to this. So I'm just going to read the little blurb here about when it's being broadcast, because it's being broadcast. It's not just going to be released on DVD. Here you go. Really? No, it's going to be broadcast November 5th uh, at 5.50 p.m. on November 5th. It will be broadcast in the U.K. and then will be available digitally via BBC's online shop and then on DVD in the U.K. Monday, November 21st. Now, in the U.S., where Paul and I are, uh, it will be broadcast on BBC America November 12th. It'll hit uh, iTunes and other online oh, retailers oh, before getting a DVD oh, release sometime thereafter. So. <laughs> nice. This is amazing. Yeah. So uh, we do have an episode of Doctor Who before Christmas. We do. <laughs> we do. Something we speculated about when we were talking about this last oh. time. Um, when we were talking about the rumor last time. Um, Should we do another review on the animated version? <laughs> well, let's watch it first, and um, and then we'll go from there. I'm super excited about this, and folks, uh, you should mark your calendars. Watch this live if you can. Uh, definitely buy it digitally or in the physical DVD when those come out, because if this is successful, that probably means we'll get more of the lost episodes completely animated. Oh, yes. Yes, that would be and amazing. I need, I need the entire collection. <laughs> um, that would be so amazing. Yes. Yes, it would. And oh my gosh. I, ah, <laughs> ah. Anyways, I literally oh, almost wow. don't know how to respond to this, except... Uh, so... <laughs> now Jason's the one squeeing like a little girl. Uh, <laughs> or a pterodactyl, I'm not sure which. <laughs> I'm so excited. And uh, (laughs) for those of you who are interested, uh, BBC and the Doctor Who official Facebook page uh, released a sort of teaser trailer about this. There's images from these episodes that are out there online now uh, with all the announcements about it. So, uh, you know, check it out. The the animation uh, has got a really neat style and is definitely really good quality. Yeah, it's definitely a unique animation style. It's sort of, it's almost a little surreal because it has a realistic look to it, but it also has kind of a fanciful look to it as well. You know? Right. It definitely captures the essence of the, the classic era, especially the, the right. 60s classic era. It all looks like the original stuff. It looks like it was taken directly from the photos that we saw in the first uh, uh, restoration that we watched. Yeah. Uh, of course, there are some minor updates. You know, the, the Daleks have the illuminated eye stalks uh, where they mm-hmm. didn't have that in the original. So that's kind of nice because it 
helps to blend the the classic with the new who, you know. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, this it looks really good. Now, obviously, I mean, the, the to sets, keep the spirit of it, it's done in black and white. Right. You right. Know? Exactly, and it's almost more of a. a grayish blue hue to it which is kind of nice uh gives it sort of that other world the quality which is what they they strive for a lot in um classic who oh the daleks (laughs) the daleks in particular look on point yeah Uh, you know because they could have gone in a completely different direction and made them look like just like modern ones or whatever they wanted to but they chose not to do that and they kept them classic oh yeah and they look amazing. I just I don't know how to describe it any way else other than amazing. <laughs> and the the background shots that you see in some of these look like the sets that you would see, right. you know, from that time. So I, I, I'm <laughs> so excited about this. Uh, you know, so if you're in the UK, 5:50 p.m. November 5th in the US. Uh, November 12th, BBC America. Uh, you know, watch it live if you can. Otherwise, buy it digitally or on DVD when that comes out. And, uh, you know, I, if I'm not working, I will be watching this live and we'll definitely be <laughs> buying the DVD as soon as it hits shelves. Cause I need it for my collection. Cause, you know, as if my collection <laughs> didn't have enough in it already. <laughs> ah, I have a problem. This will be out. About two weeks before Thanksgiving. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, not we don't have a release date for the DVD over here in the U.S. yet, uh, but uh, according to this, the DVD is going to hit the market in the U.K. roughly three weeks or so, three, three and a half weeks after uh, it airs. So, hopefully it'll be out for Christmas here in the U.S., Um that would be lovely. That way I can put on my Christmas wish list and have somebody else buy me a Doctor Who DVD. Because uh, <laughs> it's always better when you get it from somebody else, right? right. Yes, because then I don't have to pay for it. Because <laughs> <laughs> I bought plenty. Oh, dear Lord. So, um, anything else, Paul, that you want to talk about this before we get back to our previously recorded episode? There's something that I'm noticing here, too, that I hope... Uh, I hope that they do with this. Uh, it these are done in uh, sixteen nine ratio as opposed to a four three ratio, um, so they it would be done in the widescreen format if if that's correct. Um, and I know that that's not the original format of the original broadcast, but it would help to blend it together with the new Who stuff. Uh, so I wouldn't mind that, you know, I wouldn't mind seeing it done that way, you know, even though it wasn't broadcast that way. I mean, I'll be happy with it either way. I'm just saying because the new show is done in that format, you know, visually it could kind of help blend the two together for people that, you know, are used to watching it in that format, you know. Right. Well, we're going to continue geeking out about no. this. Post, <laughs> so we now return you to your previously recorded episode. We should probably stop talking about Power of the Dollars because we have an episode to review. Um, any final <laughs> thoughts on that before we, we move on, Paul? Well, you know, let's just say this. I hope it leads into them doing Evil of the Daleks as well. I uh, do as because well. Because especially if it's all done in the same style, you know. Right. 
Right. Um, if, if this is the new standard for Doctor Who animation, let's just get all of the, the missing episodes done like that. Yeah, somebody did, um, I'm not sure who it was, but somebody did an anime of, uh, the third Doctor, and they, they actually did it in the Japanese anime style. Mm-hmm. And that was really cool to see, you know, and I was, I showed that to you, I think, uh, what was it, six months ago or something? And I was like, this really makes me wish that they would go ahead and animate everything that's missing. Right. And do it like in this kind of a dynamic style, you know, not necessarily in that exact visual style, but, you know, in that kind of a dynamic style so that, you know, everything just kind of pops, you know. Right. Just enough, just enough to make it visually interesting. Um, you know, and, and do it like all of them so that they, they kind of match, you know? Yeah. I think that'd be really nice. Anyway. Oh, enough, enough about our classic who fanboying. Let's, (laughs) let's, let's jump into the day of the doctor. Spoilers. Of course, folks, as we just said, spoiler warning, Day of the Doctor is, of course, the 50th anniversary episode of Doctor Who, so it was released on November 23rd, 2013. It was written by Stephen Moffat, directed by Nick Hearn, who directed The Asylum of the Daleks, which is the last episode we talked about. And uh, real quick, uh, we have a couple of new things that I wanted to mention. Uh, we got a new companion in Clara. Well, sort of new, because we had Oswin last time. Um then we've got the War Doctor. Of course, they're the same person. Right. right. <laughs> we have the War Doctor. Um, and then, so if you could just give me, Paul, your real quick overall thoughts on Clara, on the War Doctor, and real quick thoughts on this episode in general. This is when Clara was at her best. Yes. I, after this, is when I started having mixed feelings about the character. Uh, and it's not because I I don't think Jenna Coleman did a good job playing her. I think it's just the direction they decided to take the character in made her less appealing for me, you know. So I will I will say this is probably the most that I liked Clara as a character through her entire run, uh to be honest. And with the exception maybe being uh the Zygon Invasion and Zygon Inversion, uh, which, you know, where, where, uh, Jenna Coleman got to play the, the good and the bad, right. you know, version of Clara, you know, I really liked that. Um, <clears throat> um, yeah, I would have to agree with you on Clara. This is probably my favorite episode of Clara ever. I, I liked her more, I think, with Matt Smith than I have with Peter Capaldi, which is weird because Peter's my favorite of the new doctors. Um, Sometimes they're just not as compatible, though, you know? Yeah. I mean... Yeah. I mean, it's like... It's like when the seventh Doctor started, he had Mel, and then, uh, you know, by the end of his first episode, Ace came along, and that was just like, oh, yes, they're supposed to go together. Um, so hopefully that's what we get with Bill. <laughs> uh, well, I, I, know, I know that... For me, it was like I went into this... Well, I went into to, to Capaldi's run uh, with Clara being of the mindset of, I really like Clara, so, you know, my not feeling that way about this particular episode has got to be a fluke, you know? And then the next one, I was kind of the same way, and I was like, 
well, it, it's still got to be a fluke, you know. And then by the time I get halfway through the season, I'm like, I'm just not really liking the two of them together that much, you know. <laughs> uh, I am a, extremely a huge fan of the War Doctor, you know. <laughs> And, and I can say that uh, as being someone who originally was upset that we weren't going to see Christopher Eccleston in that role. Mm. Uh, because it, it, in my mind, you know, I had always pictured Christopher Eccleston being the one who carried out the events that take place in this story, mm-hmm. you know. And then when this was changed up on us and, and it turned out not to be that incarnation of the doctor, it was kind of like, huh, you know, <laughs> and then, but then when I found out that they were bringing in John Hurt, I was like, Ooh, this is good, you know? <laughs> so yeah, so it was a mixed, it was a mixed, uh, emotion for me watching this the first time. Uh, and now that, you know, I've seen it multiple times. I don't think I would want it to be the other way. But initially I was like, but this is supposed to be the ninth doctor. It, they can't <laughs> change that, you know? And, and so, yeah, uh, yeah, it, it was, it was, uh, it was very tentative for me going into this, uh, knowing that it wasn't going to be Eccleston. Uh, but it, 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 my opinion changed almost instantly when I, when I realized it was going to be John Hurt. Um, as far as the War Doctor is concerned, I'm a huge fan of him as well. Due to the nature, and I'm going to say this again, um, I've said this before, I'll say this again, due to the nature that with which I consumed Doctor Who, um, that being rather rapidly the first time around, uh, not really having a chance to settle down really with any of the Doctors uh, until Capaldi's season started, I never really had much of an attachment or an idea of which Doctor fought during the Time War whether it was mm-hmm. Paul McGann or Christopher Eccleston. And so when the War Doctor came along, I was just like, oh, okay. You know, <laughs> so I didn't really have much of an opinion uh, going into this. And then, you know, seeing him at the end of uh, Smith's last season, and then uh, in this episode, because, you know, he, he made like, you know, a two-second appearance the last episode. Um, and then seeing this, uh, I was like, okay, I, I like him. I like him a lot. Uh, and so much so that I bought his first book, you know, Engines of War, and <laughs> I did a book review on that with uh, Molly Martin uh, quite a while ago. So I think that was episode 12 or 13, if you're interested, folks. It's a pretty good book. Uh, but John Hurt has, of course, come in and done a couple of uh, Big Finish audio mm-hmm. as the War Doctor, which I have not listened to yet. Um, I've got a couple of Big Finish audio CDs that I picked up at Phoenix Comic Con that I still haven't listened to. And you call yourself a fan. Well, you, I know the minute <laughs> I listen to them, I'm going to be like, I need more, and I'm going to start spending even more money uh, that I don't have. Um, so, <laughs> oh. <laughs> but uh, yeah, now, so overall, this is probably my favorite episode for Clara. I'm a fan of the War Doctor, and I really like the 50th anniversary special. Well, really the, like the thing episode. about the thing about John Hurt being in this uh, also is kind of interesting. If um, if you listen to some of the stories that uh, Stephen Moffat was telling about this, um, he had gone back and forth uh, with Christopher Eccleston about you know being in this story, and it was up until I think 
if I'm not mistaken, it was up until three weeks before shooting started that Eccleston was pretty much on board. And then he changed his mind at the last minute and said, no, I, I really, I can't do it. You know? And so that leaves, that leaves, uh, Stephen Moffat, uh, in, in a pickle basically, you know, and he ends up contacting, uh, John Hurt, I think like one week before shooting started. And he says, yeah, sure. I'll come and do it. I love Doctor Who. I've always wanted to play the doctor, you know, and Stephen Moffat is like, oh, I got John Hurt to play Doctor Who, you know, and so because he's a big, you know, John Hurt fan, you know. Right. And so then John Hurt comes in, I think. If I'm not mistaken, it was two or three days before shooting started, and that was the only prep time that they had to get him ready to play the character was like two or three days before they actually started shooting. Yeah. And, yeah, it was really down to the wire, and Steven was like, I didn't know if I was going to continue to do the show after this because I was so stressed out that I literally <laughs> didn't know if I wanted to do it anymore, you know? Right. <laughs> because it was, it was just so trying for him to put all this together it's such a, a a tight schedule you know right yeah well <laughs> let's go ahead and jump into the episode proper and i'm going to try and do my best to summarize this because the tardis wiki page for this is extremely detailed and when i say extremely detailed i mean like it tells us that you know when clara is driving her motorcycle down she passes the clock reading 5 16 p.m and then goes through a freeway tunnel you know, okay, yeah, uh, and that's and that's halfway through the second paragraph of the plot summary. Um, wow. Yeah, no. So I'm going to try and do my best to to condense what I, so, you know. I'm, so you're saying it looks like I wrote it. <laughs> I wasn't going to go there. You did. You said that, not me. Jason always hits all the highlights and I'm always the one that, that backs up and says, well, this happened too. And that happened too. And this, <laughs> you don't need to, we don't need to talk about how many times the doctor blinked in this particular shot. <laughs> Anyways, let's go I ahead and jump in. Make this compliment one another though. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. Let's go ahead and jump into this. So of course the, the opening is the original opening right. you know the, the original theme played uh and we get a which a, if you're not a, a old school doctor who a classic doctor who fan you're you you start watching that and you're like what yeah. what, what is, is this, this? <laughs> no it, it that that's how it's originally started and of course they it fades from black and white to color as we get the shadow of a policeman going across the sign of the uh foreman scrap merchant sign there which is how the original episode started as well. I like but then, the of course, way they did that because not only did they have it in the shot, they had the school in the shot at the same time, and they had an arrow saying, it's actually down here. Mm -hmm. So we're not actually showing you the actual front of the scrapyard. We're showing you the sign to tell you how to get there. So it was, it was, a, it was a callback without actually being the exact same shot, you know? Right. But yeah, so it, we, we come... You know, over the sign we see Coal Hill School, which has uh, Ian Chesterton's name on there as, I believe, superintendent or something like that. Um, which is really cool. Yes. But Clara is a teacher now, and so she's teaching at Coal Hill School. As school's ending, a, a teacher or a teacher's assistant, I don't know, braces in, rather concerned, because Clara's received a call from her doctor 
And Clara just goes, did he leave an address? And he goes, yes, and he hands her a piece of paper. She grins, takes off on her motorcycle, and drives out of town, finding the TARDIS at the end of a very empty road, which she races towards at full speed, yeah. Without looking like she's going to stop, and of course the door swings open, and we get that awesome shot, actually, of the motorcycle driving into the TARDIS console room there. Which is actually a callback to the movie. Oh, yes, the uh, made-for-TV movie. Yes. Yes, the 8th Doctor yes. movie. The 8th Doctor movie. <laughs> I do have to say, watching this episode, I've been paying so much attention to the Peter Capaldi episodes going into this that when I saw Matt Smith sitting there inside the TARDIS... Watching it yesterday when I when I was going over this, yeah. I almost did a double take. I was like, why isn't Pete... Oh, yes. Peter Capaldi wasn't actually <laughs> in this episode except for one shot. <laughs> so, <laughs> But it was an amazing shot. It was. We'll get there later. <laughs> um, so, but it was just one of those things where I was just half expecting Peter Capaldi to be there, and he wasn't, and it took me as a second. It's like, oh, wait, we've gone oh. back in time. <laughs> right. That's the premise of the show. But, of course, the Doctor and Clara are talking about where they want to go next. And all of a sudden, the TARDIS is moving, but the engines aren't. Uh, and so, of course, they find out that uh, there's a giant crane that's connected to a helicopter that has come down, grabbed the TARDIS, and is taking them off somewhere. They don't know where they're going. <laughs> when, all of a sudden, Kate Stewart, who's sitting at the uh, Tower of London, observing their ravens of death, which need new batteries. Um, <laughs> she's She's sitting there eating and watching the uh, the Ravens, she gets a phone call. Of course, Osgood runs out with her phone, which has got the TARDIS ringtone. This is the first time we meet Osgood. Yes, first time we meet Osgood, which is a great thing. And Kate answers the phone, Ah, oh, Doctor, we found your TARDIS. We're bringing it in. Where are you? And the Doctor, just slightly irritated, shoves his phone receiver up in the air so it catches the <laughs> helicopter noise, which you can just see all the color drain out of Kate Stewart's face when she realizes where he is. We had no idea you were still in there. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Uh, but you're being directly brought to the scene of the crime. And of course, the doctor nearly falls out of the TARDIS because he's hanging outside the door. Um, yeah, and we get like that having fun, though. Oh, yes. <laughs> and we get that fun shot of, you know, the doctor hanging onto the bottom of the TARDIS as the helicopter brings it in for a landing with Clara, you know, sticking her head out the, the front door there. And it was, <laughs> it's actually a really fun shot to, to watch that. Uh, of course they set the TARDIS down in front of the national gallery for proof of Queen Elizabeth, the first credentials, which is why the doctor has been brought here in the first place. Now they go into the national gallery and the credentials are this painting. This painting uh, depicting the Gallifreyan city of Arcadia on the last day of the Time War. And it's the fall of Arcadia. Yeah. And the neat thing about these Time Lord, this Time Lord art is that it's basically in 3D because it's a capture. It's, it's basically a frame of time has been taken and just captured in like a stasis cube type of thing, uh, is what they'll explain later. And so... Everything that was happening in that area there that can be seen through the painting is actually still in there. But of course, as the doctor talks about the, the painting either being named No More or Gallifrey Falls, and we get his feelings on this day because this is a day he's, you know, very disturbed by and does not want to remember, we zoom into the painting 
and find the War Doctor, who, in the, the middle of this battle, where we've got Daleks flying around and exterminating, and there's explosions and people mm-hmm. running and fleeing for their lives, the uh, a Time Lord soldier manages to find a quiet area to try and call the uh, Gallifrey High Command. He sees the TARDIS, and the Doctor asks to borrow his gun. And when I say the Doctor, I mean the War Doctor. Um, and he... <laughs> Carves a message into a wall uh, with the gun, and uh, what does the message say, Paul? No more. Yes. And um, and it's done in English, not in Gallifreyan. Well, no, it's just translated for us. Um. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Why did you have to bring that into it? Gosh. <laughs> Anyway, the next shot has Daleks cornering a family of Time Lords. They're about to exterminate them when the TARDIS rockets out of this wall, crashing into the Daleks, destroying most of them. And the one last Dalek that's still alive, although completely damaged, looks over and sees the the, the sign there, the message, and demands, explain, explain, and the soldier ends up shooting him. The High Command in the War Room also gets the message, and they're like, what is he doing? Where did he go next? And uh, the General, who we <laughs> we saw uh, get yeah. shot by the Twelfth Doctor and regenerate into a, uh, a black woman, um, which uh, still an old white man to a younger black woman. It's just, <laughs> I mean, it's kind of cool, but it's also just very weird. Um, <laughs> to see, <laughs> to see that, that take place. We're going to call it an upgrade. <laughs> it's just a very strange direction for the upgrade to go, I think. It was, I don't know. Just, just from a visual standpoint. They they look at one another, and uh, one of, uh, was the general, I think, mm-hmm. says the Gallifreyan High Council is already making their own plans. Yes. And that is a direct callback to end of time. Yes. Because all of the events from the end of time are taking place simultaneously with what's happening at that point in the war doctor story. Yes. And I think that is so amazing how all of that is just kind of woven together, you know, (laughs) Um, because there are two or three different things in this story that are woven together with other things, you know, right. And it's, it's done very intentionally, you know? Oh yes. Um, Oh yeah. There's references. I, I love the way that, that that's put together, you know. There's references to everything <laughs> under the sun in this, uh, which is great. Um, but it's also directly woven in with other things. The high commanders and the general have discovered that there was a breach in the time vaults, in the Omega arsenal of the time vaults, and the most feared and forbidden weapon, the moment, is missing. Of course, the, the moment is so advanced that it developed a conscience. Now, was this supposed to be one of the weapons that was actually built by Omega? I don't know. It's in the Omega arsenal of the Time Falls, right. so possibly. But the, the I know weapon that was... Omega made some of the other stuff that we've encountered already. Right. So, right. It's entirely possible. I just don't know for sure. Uh, the it's so advanced and so deadly that it's developed a conscience. And the Time Lords didn't use it, because how can you use a weapon that can stand in judgment over you? Um, only the Doctor <laughs> would be mad enough to use such a weapon. And, of course, he is mad enough to use such a weapon. Of course, we won't and get we... into why. No. 
<laughs> He's just an angry man. Just angry. Jason doesn't feel like debating me today. <laughs> I don't. No. <laughs> We're not going to talk about half-human doctors. It's just not, not true. Anyway, we get we get the great shot, you know, that's used in all the trailers and all the fan videos uh, for the War Doctor uh, of him leaving the TARDIS, carrying this, you know, big burlap sack with the moment in it and his little internal monologue too long i've stayed my hand no more you leave me no choice all that sort of thing you know he says no more several times in that monologue as he walks towards the the barn that we've seen several times now um the 12th doctor went back there when he returned to gallifrey at the end of this past season no this was the first time we saw it though correct yes but the the implication is that we saw it in listen when clara went back and saw the child doctor um and grabbed his leg from under the bed um, right but i, I don't know indicating if that's... that this was one of the places where he grew up as a child uh-huh. so he takes the the moment in there and he's trying to find uh how it works and just you know mumbles about you know why is there never a big red button <laughs> when he hears a a rustling sound and he goes to open the door to, to see who's out there and all of a sudden you know a, a girl's voice behind him says it's just a wolf and he turns around, and there's sitting Billy Piper, on the moment. Yeah. <laughs> um, Don't sit on that. <laughs> it's not a chair. It's the most dangerous weapon in the universe. <laughs> well, why can't it be both? <laughs> um, and she starts making fun of him uh, by, you know, saying, "I, I heard no you. More. No, no more. more. No more. <laughs> no more. No more." <laughs> The way she did that was great. Uh, it's, it's probably my favorite part of of, of all of uh, the moments involvement in this episode was her, her making fun of the war doctor there. No more. No more. No more. <laughs> and he's going, would you stop that? <laughs> and of course, she finally reveals that, yes, I'm the moment in her face. And uh, she says, I picked this face just for you. It's from your past. Or is it your future? I can, and I can never get that right. <laughs> and of course, Rose Tyler, aka Bad Wolf, which is what yeah, she really she, is. She basically says, "Rose Tyler, well, this incarnation is actually called Bad Wolf." Bad Wolf. You know? <laughs> of course, the, the eyes, the eyes flare, yeah. uh, you know, with the the time energy slightly yeah. as she says that. <laughs> it's it's kind of interesting because it almost makes you wonder if Bad Wolf maybe integrated itself into the moment at some point and that's how the moment you know gained a conscience mm, i mean i i don't i don't think so because while bad wolf could see through time and space and everything i feel like that was more on like the human plane of existence rather than the time lord uh plane well, of existence i think the one reason that that and you you could possibly be right, but I think the one reason why that seems like it could make sense to me is because uh, that was one of the things that was kind of in the forefront of Rose's mind when she became Bad Wolf was the torment that the Doctor was going through about having done this, you know. Well, and so if it, it's not an impossibility, it it could go either way. It's not an know? impossibility, but I I get the feeling that the the moment was made sentient um, long long before 
Rose ever became Bad Wolf. And, and it's granted, I know that you know she can see through all of time and everything, but I, I feel like the moment has been around. The idea that I get is the moment has been around for ever, and the Time Lords are just too afraid mm-hmm. to touch it. Um, and so I feel like the moment predates Bad Wolf and was sentient before Bad Wolf. Maybe. So maybe they touched consciousnesses, and mm-hmm. you know that left an impression on mm-hmm. the moment. And so when the Doctor shows up, that's the first thing that pops to the moment's mind, which is why she gets the past and the future reversed. Right. Um, but I feel like the moment is is squarely its own entity. Obviously, it knows everything about Bad Wolf and Rose, um, but I, I feel like it's its own thing. Right. It's just taken the guise of Bad Wolf. And it's kind of interesting that it seems to have the same personality uh, as Rose at some points. You know, it, it 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 does those little quips and stuff that Rose would do, you know. Right, right. But then it also goes to a very... Uh, you know, somber place that neither Rose or Bad Wolf would ever go as well. So it, it, it has other aspects that aren't either Rose or Bad Wolf um, in it as well. So we're just theorizing and speculating here. I don't <laughs> think anybody intended us fans to think about it that deeply, but of course we're fans and we do. Um, so oh, Stephen Moffat would think about it that deeply, but he's the writer, so you know. Right, and I mean, I think, to be perfectly honest, this is him finding a way to get Billy Piper in the 50th anniversary special without yeah, without bringing Rose back from the alternate, uh, from the parallel universe. You could imagine, though, um, this, you know, him doing that and this being Christopher Eccleston, you could imagine the interaction that they would have had had this been on you know, the two of them. That would know. be weird. Yeah, because it would be like he was witnessing bad wolf all over again you know yeah. mm. except this would have been like before in his time and yeah. everything and then oh wow because mm. it would have been like the, you know the second time he saw bad wolf would be the first time that bad wolf came see what i'm saying It'd now really you're confusing weird. me now you're confusing me let's move on <laughs> it would have um, been reverse <laughs> order uh the same way that that river song was reverse order in other words his last time to, to see bad wolf would be her first time to see him and vice versa. Okay. Okay. But of course he wouldn't have remembered this event anyways. Cause anyway, um, <laughs> we'll get to that at the end of that. We were going to try and keep this episode summary <laughs> short and we've just evolved in about 15 different rabbit trails. And it's going to make this a very long episode. I think you can blame. Oh me. goodness. <laughs> I won't. But, but of course the moment is trying to, you know, question the doctor on, on the path that he has decided to set himself on. Uh, you know, the plan that he is going to destroy everything in order to stop the war. He's going to destroy the Daleks, he's going to destroy the Time Lords. That is the only option that he believes he has to him. And so she Did you notice something? Hmm. This is the she says, Why did you park so far away? And he yes. he looks at her like, What are you talking about? She said, A TARDIS. Why did you leave it way back there? You Miles don't want her to see what you're going to do. Right. <laughs> and that's when she goes into, you know, I heard you. No more. No more. No more. Yeah. Anyway, I thought yes. that was kind of interesting, though, because it's a direct call out to, to, to acknowledge that the TARDIS has a personality as well. Yeah. It's a, you know, somewhat sentient. You don't want her to see what you're going to do. No. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and so the, the moment then asks, 
how many children on Gallifrey will die. And he doesn't know. Mm-hmm. And she says, you'll find a way to count them. And she says, if you do this, let me show you who you will become. She opens a, a time fissure to start, you know, bringing everything through. And, of course, the first thing that falls through is a fez. <laughs> Back in the 21st century, Kate pulls them away from the uh, No More or Gallifrey Falls painting uh, with a letter from Queen Elizabeth, you know, that states that, you know, the doctor's protector and that if something goes wrong in the under gallery, you need to deal with it, that sort of thing. This is why you've been summoned. Did you notice something here? Hmm. This was the first time I noticed this, and I watched this episode a lot. Mm-hmm. At, this was the point where Kate told the doctor that Queen Elizabeth had assigned the doctor to be the curator of mm-hmm. the under gallery. Yes. That comes back into play later. Yes, it does. <laughs> yes, it does. I it never is. noticed that line until this time when I watched it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Kate leads the Doctor and Clara down into the undergallery. They pass through a hallway with covered statues. The Doctor notices some dust on the ground and tells Osgood to go uh, be sciency and analyze it. They go through a painting of uh, Queen Elizabeth and the Tenth Doctor to get to the undergallery and um, of course Clara says do you know her? and he goes oh yes a long time ago I was a different man back then of course we go to a, another dink dink flashback to England 1562 <laughs> uh, with the 10th Doctor and the Queen Elizabeth are riding out of the TARDIS on horseback to prove that the TARDIS really is bigger on the inside they're having a picnic <laughs> uh, and then he proposes to take her hand in marriage she says yes and when the doctor goes, aha, you would never have done that. You're a Zygon. <laughs> and I have a machine that goes ding that, that tells me this. <laughs> so David Tennant. And Queen Elizabeth is just looking at him incredulously. Just looks at him incredulously like, what are you talking about? And then, of course, the horse transforms back into a Zygon. Um, and he goes, oh, oh. I'm going to be king. <laughs> <laughs> The doctor then oh. tells Elizabeth to run to her life. Um, I'm going to track down the Zygon. They split up. The doctor thinks he tracks down the Zygon, but it's really just a big fluffy bunny. Um, and and, and this, the little speech he gives there is yep. just so funny. <laughs> I'm the doctor. President-elect the High Council of Gallifrey, Constellation Casterbris. I'm 904 years old. The oncoming storm. And you are basically just a rapid, aren't you? <laughs> yes, but that's just a general warning. So... Go about your business. <laughs> he then, of course, hears the queen screaming in the woods, races to, towards the sound, you know, into a clearing where he sees the queen, uh, who is so glad to see him. Um, and then they look across the, to the other side of the clearing where the queen questions why he's helping up the creature. Yeah, there's two Queen Elizabeths. One of them's a Zygon. <laughs> and before the doctor can figure out who is the real queen and who is the Zygon, the time fissure appears and a fez falls through. (laughs) And we're going, what's with the fezes? Well, now we go back to the 21st century in the National Gallery. (laughs) Kate Stewart is taking the Doctor and Clara to a specific gallery. Of course, along the way, they pass a fez. 
which the doctor promptly takes out of his case and puts it on his head, much to Clara's chagrin. Someday you could just walk past a fez. Never gonna happen. <laughs> they come to a room with a bunch of 3D paintings, you know, that are also, you know, like the Gallifreyan stasis cube paintings. They're all landscapes. And the glass of the frames has been broken from the inside of these paintings. And then Kate pulls out an iPad and shows them what the paintings looked like before. There were actually people in the paintings. So something got out. Yeah. Uh, this part comes off as a little creepy. Mm. Something's escaped out of the paintings. Yeah. And and we don't know where they are. <laughs> we don't know where they are because we haven't yeah. seen anything, but nothing has gotten out. <laughs> yeah, and if you sit there for a moment and think about that, you're thinking, yeah, it feels like somebody's standing behind me, you know? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> but before they can really start getting to work on that, another time fissure opens up. Um, right there in the room, and the doctor's like, what's going on? And then he faintly remembers this happening, and that's when he throws the fez into the time fissure. And then follows it in. Uh, Kate, it's uh, kind of interesting. He didn't remember anything at all to do with this until the fissure opened. Right. And then it was like he got his memory back. Right. You know. Um, Clara wants to follow, but Kate says no. We don't know where it's going. Um, the 11th Doctor falls out of the time fissure and lands in front of the 10th Doctor, who has picked up the fez and plunked it on his head which I'm sure was a total uh, fan service thing uh, <laughs> to get the 10th Doctor with the Fez. <laughs> and then they both realize who the other is. Matt Smith starts talking about how skinny David Tennant is. Uh, they compare sonic screwdrivers, uh, and Tennant accuses Smith of compensating for something. Because this is bigger. Because this is bigger. <laughs> The time fissure then starts getting really angry and increases in intensity, in which the tenth doctor orders the queens to the two queens to run away in opposite directions. They both run up, give him a huge smooch, and then take off. And um, Eleven's just like one of them's a zygote. Yeah. Ooh. Smith's doctor says something to Tennant's doctor about it slipping in the tongue or something. Ooh, yep. <laughs> it's just like ooh. <laughs> Um, That's Smith, both funny and messed up. Right. <laughs> oh, anyway, wow. um, Smith <laughs> then takes the Fez back and wants to test the theory with Clara, uh, saying that the time fissure can go both ways. And he tosses his Fez in, but Clara's like, yeah, I don't see it. And, of course, we know where that went. It goes back to uh, Gallifrey. And through the time fissure, Clara and the doctors are talking, uh, and Clara figures out that there's two doctors there. And Kate goes, oh, there's a precedent for that. <laughs> and goes to make a phone call to bring a file, uh, one of her father's old files, uh, not noticing that there's a dark shadow following her. Did which... you notice what she said, though? She said, bring me the file for the 70s or 80s, depending on the data protocol. <laughs> yep. Because there's a controversy amongst the fans of what the time period was in which this took place in the classic <laughs> episodes. Uh, so that was a direct, uh, that was written in there directly as a call out, a shout out 
by Stephen Moffat to to acknowledge the fact that some of the fans don't agree, uh, whether it was in the seventies or whether it was in the eighties when that that story took place. Are we are we talking about <laughs> uh, the three doctors or the five doctors? I think it was the three doctors, if I'm not mistaken. Okay, so there's a um, discrepancy among fans as to if that actually took place. Well, there's the there's a discrepancy among fans as to whether or not a portion of the third doctor's episodes took place in the seventies or the eighties in the actual timeline of the show. Oh, so yeah, which is weird considering <laughs> they were all made during the seventies. Uh, yeah. Anyway, but there's a just there's, there's, there's this, I don't know. It's got something to do with, with, uh, continuity, you know, glitch somewhere in the stories or something. I don't know. So, okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm not so, aware of that. At the end of the Time War, the War Doctor picks up the Fez, goes into the Fissure, and lands in London, in uh, England, 1562. This, of course, happens after the Doctors both try to reverse the polarity to try and make whatever's trying to come through come through. But they just end up <laughs> using the directly to the Third Doctor. Yes. <laughs> reverse up, the polarity. Yes. <laughs> just going to reverse the polarity of the neutron flow. Um, but these two just end up confusing the polarity because they're both reversing the polarity. Um, <laughs> the war doctor uh, emerges and says, hello, I'm looking for the doctor. If they ever need somebody to do that for the big finished audios, you can do that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I will say I'm better at mimicking lines I've already heard than in coming up with new stuff you know, off the top of my head. Anyways, they say, well, you've come to the right place. Oh, good. Are you his companions? <laughs> Oh, they get younger all the time, you know, and then they pull out their sonic screwdrivers, and he goes, what, really? No. Am I having a midlife crisis? Um, He's been having a midlife crisis all the way up until Capaldi. <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much. The fourth Doctor went through an existential midlife crisis for an episode oh. during Pure Moons of Mars, but that's not here. He starts complaining that he's somewhere around 750 years old, and Sarah Jane goes, oh, so you're middle-aged. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Uh, suddenly, the Queen's soldiers are there, uh, threatening them, and uh, are getting ready to you know, eliminate them. But uh, Clara starts asking what's going on from the time fissure, freaking out all the, uh, the soldiers there, um, which works better than pointing sonic screwdrivers at the soldiers, because what are you going to do, assemble a cabinet at them? <laughs> oh, man. Clara then tells them to be gone, or I'll turn you into frogs. Yeah, and she really has a lot of conviction when she says this, right? Right. <laughs> right. Um, the 11th Doctor's like, really? Yeah. Really? <laughs> Help me out here. Uh, <laughs> and um, the queen returns to the group implies that her human counterpart is dead and has the trio of doctors arrested and taken to the tower of london which you know 11 loudly hints that he wants her to take them there um kate picks that up because that's where her office is in the tower of london and kate takes clara to the black archive to retrieve jack harkness's vortex manipulator so they can go and uh, rescue the doctor. And then we start cutting back and forth between a couple of scenes here. We get the scene with the three doctors thrown in jail uh, in the 
the Tower of London there, which the Eleventh Doctor starts carving something into the wall. Uh, it turns out it's the activation code for the Vortex Manipulator. During this time, Osgood and another guy have been analyzing the dust that was found on the floor of the undergallery. Turns out it's all just stone dust mm-hmm. from the statues. And the other guy makes the observation, why would anyone want to smash up a bunch of statues? And Osgood goes, oh crap. We have to leave, and we have to leave now. Now. <laughs> now. Why? I know why the people in the painting smash the statues. They needed some place to hide. And of course that causes the Zygons under the sheets to start coming out. Right. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. They get the other guy, corner Osgood. A Zygon who transforms into Osgood corners Osgood, and we're left not really knowing what happens. Because Osgood trips the Zygon with her fourth Doctor scarf, which is amazing. <laughs> She's wearing one of those. But, uh, we, I wonder if she has the deluxe one like no, you did. No, 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 that's, that's the standard. That's the standard 12-foot one, um, I, I noticed. Um, but she trips the Zygon. The Zygon, of course, growls and starts getting up, and it just cuts away. We don't know exactly, so we don't know exactly what happens with that. Kate and Clara enter the Black Archives to get Jack Harkness's Vortex Manipulator. One of Kate's assistants has found a carving in the Tower of London with a bunch of numbers, which is the Vortex Manipulator Activation Code. And it's going to be texted to her phone. This is when Osgood and the other scientist guy uh, walk into the room, and Clara starts going, are they supposed to be here? Kate just says something to the effect of, well, they probably just dispose of the rest of the humans. Oh, silly me. I do get into character, so don't I? This is when uh, (laughs) Kate does this really disgusting Disgusting transformation into a Zygon. It's one of the most bizarre transformations and gross transformations I've seen, because she just sort of like spits up this big orange glob <laughs> of something as she initially transforms. Yeah. It's so weird. You know, this is just my headcanon. Uh-huh. But in my in my headcanon, the Zygon that turned her, itself into Kate was the same Zygon that turned itself into to Clara later on. You know? Interesting. <laughs> that could that could work. As the the leader Zygon there turns to say something to the other two, Kate's phone beeps. Clara grabs it, grabs the vortex manipulator, and puts in the activation code, disappearing. It travels to the past. Uh, this is when we cut back to the Tower of London in 1562. The doctors have been having a very irritable conversation about the war and everything and how many children died on Gallifrey and that sort of thing because the war doctor says that they look at him with something you know like dread when he asks how many children died on Gallifrey the 11th doctor says I have absolutely no idea this is when 10 basically just rips 11 a new one and says you know with the exact goes in with the exact number 2.47 billion children how long has it been for you? 400 mm-hmm. years. It only takes 400 years for you to forget. And this is when the moment tells the war doctor, see, this is what you become. The man who regrets and the man who forgets. They are his future. Mm-hmm. And then she gives him the idea for how to get out with the sonic screwdriver. Because the sonic screwdriver can disintegrate the wooden door there, but it would take 400 years to do the calculations uh, correctly to do it. So the war doctor scans the door with his sonic screwdriver, because it's the same software, just different case. Uh, the tenth doctor 
here's the these. See, I thought that was a nice touch. Yes. You know, it's technically the same screwdriver, just in a different case. Right. You know, of course, I'm sure he's added a few upgrades to it over the oh, years, yeah. but it's still the same screwdriver, right. you know. Right. And then the Tenth Doctor notices that the subroutine is running in his sonic screwdriver. Holy moly. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and then Eleven goes, ah, it's done. <laughs> and they're just getting ready to disintegrate the door when Clara bursts through. And they go, how did you do that? It wasn't locked. <laughs> Three of you in here. But it should have been locked. Three of you in here, and none of you tried the door. Well, it should have been locked. Why wasn't it locked? And that's when Queen Elizabeth, or maybe the fake Queen Elizabeth, we're not sure yet, comes and says, well, I wanted to see what you would do when you escaped. But of course, they didn't. So, But then the, the queen or queen doppelganger takes... Uh, the doctors and Clara. Chinny sand shoes and yes. granddad. Chinny sand shoes and granddad. <laughs> Takes them down to where the Zygons are, are preparing for their invasion many, many, many years in the future. Because they've arrived at a point in time where Earth is too primitive for their liking. There's certain creature comforts that they want. And so they're basically putting themselves in these stasis cubes as these paintings in order to wait for a more opportune time. <laughs> Uh, and then, of course, the Tenth Doctor lays into Queen Elizabeth for being the false Queen Elizabeth because this was kind of funny. <laughs> this is how because this is how I know you are the fake one. <laughs> Queen Elizabeth would never have told me her plan. And then, of course, there's the fake hair and the breath is just atrocious and all this stuff. And she goes, <laughs> "Well, it's not my plan. It's theirs." Oh, <laughs> you realize that she's killed her doppelganger in the woods. <laughs> Of course, Ten tries to backtrack, and they're getting ready to go off, but Elizabeth says, but first, one more thing. You have to, you have to you keep, have to your, keep promise. your promise. And there's a quick impromptu wedding, um, and Ten goes, you know, after the kiss and the nuptials are, are over, uh, Ten goes, all right, I will be right back, and dashes off into his TARDIS. War, war doctor says... Is there a lot of this in my future? And Eleven goes, it <laughs> It does begin to happen. <laughs> oh, of course, it actually started at the oh, incarnation before you. <laughs> right. The, uh, the scene with the Doctor and Queen Elizabeth is a direct callback to a previous episode of the 10th mm -hmm. doctor where he talks about the fact that he married queen Elizabeth. <laughs> it also is a callback to the, uh, the Shakespeare code where <laughs> um, at the very end of the episode, I think it's the Shakespeare code, very end of the episode, uh, queen Elizabeth, who is much older at that point, uh, comes in and orders the doctor's arrest because she's furious at him. And, of course, that's when the Doctor and Martha race off and escape back to the TARDIS. Um, I, think that's, I think that's the episode. And we're like, why is she so mad at you? Now we know. <laughs> <laughs> In that episode, the Doctor goes, you know, why is she so mad at you? I don't know. I haven't done anything to her yet. Um, you know, so... <laughs> um, Anyway, <laughs> the funny thing 
about what happens oh. is when all three doctors <laughs> go into the same TARDIS, it gets the, for lack of a better word, desktop confused. <laughs> and it starts blending all of the different versions of the TARDIS together. And so, of course, we go into David Tennant's TARDIS, which the war doctor complains that he's let go. And Eleven goes, oh, it's his grunge phase. Don't worry, he grows out of it. <laughs> and then it just sort of, like, flashes. And there's bits and pieces of tens uh, mixed with the bright white roundels of the classic series. Oh, uh, and then... the round things! I love the round things! What do they do? I no idea. <laughs> so you haven't been watching some of the classic episodes, because there are actually panels behind that. You'll see that with Six in particular. He opens up the TARDIS and starts messing with things in there a couple of different times. Uh, yeah, but, you know, if you live that long, you're going to forget something every once in a while. <laughs> right. Back in the Tower of London, uh, Kate Osgood and, I guess, McGillop is the, the other scientist's names, confront their doppelgangers in the Black Archive. So there's two of each of these people, and they're facing off. And Kate starts a nuclear warhead countdown that's right underneath the Tower of London that'll go off in order to protect you know, all of the secrets there from getting out. And, of course, there's an argument over everything. The Doctor contacts them via space-time telegraph that he gave to Brigadier Alistair Gordon Lethbridge-Stewart, uh, begging Kate not to detonate. She cuts him off. He tries to land, but of course the Tower of London has been made TARDIS-proof so that he doesn't interfere. And they're going, how do we get in? Well, that's when the War Doctor goes, ah, a cup of soup. Uh, and We don't really have to land. Right. <laughs> of course we have to land. Well, not really. They insert themselves into the No More Gallifrey Falls painting uh, which McGillop had gotten a strange call earlier to move the painting to the Black Archives. Turns out that was Eleven, right after he'd gotten done talking to him earlier on in the episode. <laughs> and uh, that is when the doctors use their sonic screwdrivers to send a Dalek crashing through the glass of the painting into the Black Archives, and then they step out themselves in some very epic slow motion with the music playing, the theme, and all this stuff, and it's amazing. And they step up to the table, and <laughs> Clara just says, show-offs. Sorry about the Dalek. Now, if, if you'll think about this, this is actually a mirror image, almost, to the, the Zygon inversion, the final scenes in that. Yeah. Uh, because you have the same scenario. Mm -hmm. Right. Kate and a Zygon fighting over world destruction, basically. Mm -hmm. And the Doctor's way of creating a ceasefire and peace talks, which have been heretofore unsuccessful up to this point, is to utilize the Black Archive's uh, memory wipe technology to make everyone forget if they're human or Zygon. Which causes <laughs> the two Kates to cancel the detonation with five seconds remaining. The, um, the negotiation is underway, and the Osgoods figure out who is who, because one of them still had the asthma inhaler and gave it to the other when she was having trouble breathing. I'm sure someone has figured out which one is which, and I can't remember who had the asthma inhaler last, 
It was Osgood. It was Osgood. It was Osgood because she picked it up off the floor when she knocked that, the other one down. That's what I thought. And so she gives it to the Zygon who's getting ready to have an asthma attack, and they decide to keep the secret. But see, that just shows you what kind of person Osgood oh, is, you know, because she very easily could have just let the other one suffocate. Right. right. <laughs> this is why the Osgoods are the ones who have the quote-unquote Osgood box later on. Um, mm-hmm. As things are being worked out, Clara has a conversation with the war doctor and says that you haven't done it yet. No, I haven't. It's when he turns to the, you know, done it. By it, he means, I mean, you know, blown up everybody. Clara basically says that, you know, my doctor, I know he would do anything to take it back and to do it differently. The war doctor just sort of like smiles sadly at her and then turns to the moment who's behind Clara and says, I am ready. Clara turns to see who he's talking to, doesn't see anybody there, and then when she turns back to the chair that the war doctor was sitting in, he's gone too. He's back on Gallifrey, getting ready to push the big red button that the moment has so kindly uh, provided for him. Uh, (laughs) You said you wanted a big red button? (laughs) Yep. And as he's, you know, working up the nerve to actually do it, two TARDISes land. Ten and eleven's TARDISes land, the two of them come out with Clara, and they're all there. They try to, you know, they, they have a, this very heartfelt conversation about the war doctor and his role in all this, because he's repeatedly said that he's not the doctor. He doesn't deserve that name uh, because of what he does. And they come in to do it with him, to end it all with him. And that's when Eleven looks over at Clara, who is just can't believe he's about to do this to go through with this plan Mm -hmm. and then that's when the moment steps in with this projection of all the death all the destruction all the people that they're about to destroy there's a stuffed animal burning on the street and yeah it's it's It's, yeah and then it fades and 11 deactivates the moment with the sound screwdriver and he goes i've changed my mind and they start getting an idea and it's being shared between the three of them mentally. So they're all starting to pick up on it. And of course the war doctor goes, Oh, bad wolf, I could kiss you much to the shock and surprise of 10. <laughs> um, did, did you say bad wolf? <laughs> he goes, Oh, bad wolf girl. I could kiss you. <laughs> yeah, that's going to happen. I'm sorry. Did you say bad wolf? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and when she said that's going to happen, she said it in such a way as to say, yeah, yep, that's, that's going to happen. happen. <laughs> kiss oh, man. There's going to be some smooching. Um, basically, the idea they come up with is they're going to do a giant version of a stasis cube and stick Gallifrey in it, causing the Daleks overhead to the Dalek fleets overhead to uh, destroy each other in the crossfire. This is when they um, send another message to the high command you know gallifrey stands and they contact high command and try and outline their plan to the general who is very hesitant about this and doesn't really think that this is a smart idea and they're like well you'll have hope which is something you don't have now and he goes but you can't do it on the fly here the calculations would take hundreds of years oh yes hundreds and hundreds a very long time but guess what i've been working on it for a very (laughs) long time and then my favorite part of the entire episode happens we hear William Hartnell 
over the communication system. And then all these other TARDISes start flying into view, and on the screens inside the Gallifrey War Room, we see clips of each of the Doctors flash on there as they are readying everything and preparing stuff for what the Doctors are about to do. And it's so great. And oh, all 12 of them are here. No, all 13. And we get our first glimpse of Peter Capaldi as the Doctor as he mm-hmm. you know pulls down a lever and looks very intently. The angry eyebrows. Yes, the angry <laughs> eyebrows very intensely into the camera. Um, and the the Daleks, of course, recognize that something's going on and increase their attacks. And the general realizes this is the only way we're getting out of this due to the increased attacks. So do it. We get Geronimo, Alonzi, and oh, for goodness sake, Gallifrey stands. And all the TARDISes <laughs> do their thing. Gallifrey disappears and there's a huge explosion as the Dalek fleet is destroyed. You return to the gallery where 10, 11, and the War Doctor are trying to figure out if it actually succeeded. Did this actually work? We're not entirely certain. If it didn't, at least we failed doing the right thing instead of succeeding at the wrong. Clara, I don't remember exactly what she says, but she basically looks at him and, and indicates something like, well, you're just full of joy, aren't you? Oh, you know? <laughs> I think she says, life of the party, aren't you? And then, of course, 10 and 11 finally address the war doctor as doctor. Mm-hmm. And uh, he finally feels like he's earned that title. But neither of them will really remember this instance very well because the timelines are out of sync. So as everyone goes back to their time, uh, the War Doctor is going to forget this completely. Ten will probably completely forget this as well. Eleven will remember it somewhat. The thing about it, the thing about it that makes it interesting, is that because of that scenario, because of the fact that every single time that the Doctor meets himself, he ends up forgetting after it's all over with, with the exception of the most current incarnation you know, mm-hmm. who remembers what happened, you know, at the end of it. Because of that, it technically means that they didn't actually change time after all. This actually happened the first time around. He just didn't know it. Possibly. And so all of this time he's been suffering and hurting and killing himself over something that he didn't even do because in his mind he remembers doing it because he has the, he doesn't have the memory of what happened to keep it from happening all he knows is i was going to do this and the moment that i was going to do this i remember up to that moment and i remember that gallifrey right. is no longer there right so he knows he had to have done it in mm-hmm. his mind but it never actually happened yeah i think that's i think that's really well written you know uh, because it, it lets you it lets everything that came before stand and it lets everything that came mm-hmm. before matter. But you really, you find out that he, he only believes he did this. He didn't actually right. do it. Yeah. I think that's I cool. Like it. I, I love the way that they did this. Um, <laughs> and of course the, the doctors are all ready to leave now. And one by one, they leave the war doctor takes off and begins to regenerate inside the TARDIS and, makes the comment that he's wearing a bit thin and hopes the ears are less conspicuous this time, um, which, of course, they aren't yeah. at all. Um, <laughs> and you see him halfway regenerate into yep. Christopher Eccleston. Yep. 
yeah. which is really cool. Yeah. I like the fact they did that too, because it doesn't leave any right. gaps. You know, it, it basically lets you know, this led into this, this led into this, and this led into this. And so you, you kind of know how everything right. fits together, you know? Right. Uh, the 10th doctor has squirreled away a bit of future information from the 11th doctor about his future because he's not going to remember it anyways, and he doesn't like the answer about Trenzalore, where we're buried. And Ten says, we need a new destination. As he gets into the TARDIS, he says, we need a new destination because I don't want to go. To which Eleven says, he always I would like that. to know where this falls in the Tenth Doctor's timeline. I this is probably after Donna, somewhere... Like, immediately after Donna? Sometime after Donna, between <clears throat> some of the specials, before he hits, obviously, before he hits that last special. This is probably during the time of some of his mm-hmm. other specials. So, um, yeah. Well, I know he doesn't have a companion in this one, so it either has to happen between two seasons or it has to happen after Donna, one of the other. Where, you know, the the sort of mentality that he's got, I really feel like this is after Donna, during that period where he traveled alone during those specials. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's that's my idea, that that, that this is late in his regeneration. We we would have to go back and find out where he makes the statement about Queen, uh, Queen Elizabeth to know for sure. I think not, that was, you know, I think that was um, when he arrived on the planet of the Ood when they were warning him about the Master returning. I think that's where he says that when he comes out with the the straw hat and you know like he's just come from that and he you know talks about you know marrying Queen Elizabeth and all this stuff. So that would be really interesting if it happened right before that, especially with him behaving the way that he is when he comes into that episode. Right. Clara goes into the TARDIS because the Doctor wants some time alone with his painting. Um, and then as she goes into the TARDIS, she mentions that, oh, there's an old man. Uh, I think he was the curator was looking for you. And the Doctor talks about how oh, I'd love to be a curator. I could be, I'd be the great curator. I could retire. I could retire and be the great curator. I really think you might. And of course, the, the curator yeah, comes out. Dude. And it's... <laughs> oh. Oh, dude. And we get Tom Baker, <laughs> who resembles the fourth Doctor. Greatly resembles the fourth Doctor. I was not expecting that at all the first time mm-hmm. I watched that. And I'm sitting there, and I hear that voice. And the moment I heard that voice, I just started sobbing. <laughs> <laughs> I just started sobbing. And and my... uh. My stepdaughter was sitting there with me watching it and she looks at me and she goes, are you okay? And I'm like, don't look at me. (laughs) And she's like, no, it's okay. If this gets to you, just, I'm just trying to make sure you're okay. (laughs) It hit me so hard that I, I literally just started crying when I heard the, I didn't even see him. I just heard the voice. And I just started crying immediately. Oh, it was so great. You know, it was so great. Uh, and it embarrasses me when I do that, but at the same time, I'm kind of not ashamed <laughs> that I did In it. In retrospect, you know? <laughs> you're not ashamed. <laughs> but in the moment, I was like, don't look right. at me, you know? <laughs> uh, and uh, oh. after a little bit of, of talk about, you know, this odd situation, the curator turns the attention to the painting which he acquired under remarkable circumstances. And he asks Eleven's opinion on the title. And he goes, well, which one? No more Gallifrey Falls. And that's when the curator goes, ah, but that's where everyone's wrong. There's only one title. 
Gallifrey Falls No More. Now, what do you suppose that means, eh? Yeah. And, uh... <laughs> and then this is when Eleven starts going, oh, am I supposed to start looking for Gallifrey? Is that what I'm supposed to do now? Oh, well, I really wouldn't know. <laughs> but where is it? Uh, I mean, he just fell right back oh, into the gosh. character, man. It was... Tom Baker. Yeah. It's like, it's like he never left the role. Wow. What, 30 years later? Does that, does that sound right? 30 years? Uh, yeah, 35 they're back years? I think about 35 years later. Yeah. He just fell right back into the role. You know, it was like he mm-hmm. never left. Right. Wow. And then, <laughs> and then they sort of go into this, well, you know, maybe you're me or I'm you or maybe it doesn't matter. You know, are you really an incarnation of the Doctor from the future? Yeah. Well, maybe. Maybe, maybe yes, maybe no. Well, maybe it doesn't matter. Who knows, eh? Who knows? And then, of course, he does that thing where he taps his nose, um, and then he walks off. Yeah. And uh, then we get... You know, I like to think... I like to think that that's his final incarnation. That would be, that would be so... You know. So amazing, if that was the truth. Yeah. If that was true. I, I would love to think that that's his final incarnation, and that's the face that he chose to to use for his final incarnation so that he could, you know, remember that face before he finally died. Uh, I would be okay with that. (laughs) (laughs) But then again, Tom Baker's my favorite, so I'm not biased at all in this. Um, Anyway. Well, I mean, about the only way that that would ever happen is if it happened either on Big Finish Audio or in a novel or something, because by the time they get to the point where he would be at his final incarnation, Tom probably won't be. If they ever get to the point where he reaches his final incarnation. um, If. (laughs) Then, of course, we get the the closing sequence where the Doctor talks about uh, his dreams, and he walks out of the TARDIS and stands there on, you know, something with the rest of the Doctors gazing up at Gallifrey sitting there in the sky um, you know, determined to find it once and for all. The only one that's missing yep. is Peter Capaldi. So it's Eleven and all of his previous incarnations yeah. standing there. And uh, he says, it's taken me so many years, so many lifetimes, but at least I know where I'm going, where I've always been going, home, the long way round. So. Yeah. Which is, you know, that, that gets repeated yep. when Clara leaves. You know, we're going yep. the long way round, you know. Um, I think that was probably done on purpose. Oh, you know? probably. Yeah. Considering that Stephen Moffat um, the... <clears throat> wrote both of those. One thing I did notice that I thought was fun was in the uh, the sequence where we got all the doctors on the screens as they're getting ready to save Gallifrey. Is uh, we get mm-hmm. two different incarnations of Sylvester McCoy's Doctor. We get one from his, you know, from the series uh, where he's the Doctor, and then we also see him as he appeared in the movie. I didn't notice that. Yep, yep. There's, no, I didn't notice that. There's a brief clip uh, of him bent over the TARDIS console, um, and then it flashes a couple bits later to uh, when you know things are starting to go haywire at the beginning of the movie, and Sylvester McCoy is trying to get the TARDIS under control. So, uh. so yeah, there, there's we get both versions of... <laughs> Of Sylvester McCoy in there, they they probably th- hoped that that would be quickly edited enough that people wouldn't notice, you know, the difference. But then there's people like me who go frame by frame to see 
yeah. each and every one of these things. So wait a minute, wait a minute. Is that what I think it was? Yes, it, <laughs> it was. doesn't matter that you were, you know, okay, a half a frame, a half a frame, a half a frame. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. Um, oh, let's let's start <laughs> wrapping this up. Um, uh, final thoughts and rating on Day of the Doctor. Uh, final thoughts. Hmm. Well, I can't watch this uh, episode without tearing up uh, <laughs> because it is so f- nostalgic for me. You know, it and and on top of all of that, it's. It, I don't know if it's just the way that Stephen Moffat writes the character or what, but it's written in such a way so that throughout the entire story. You're seeing visually, you're seeing the 10th Doctor, the 11th Doctor, the War Doctor. Uh, and of course, you already know me. I'm, I'm using that terminology because that's how everyone else sees it. But, right. um, you know, it's even though you're visually seeing those depictions, the way that it's written, it's like you can see every other incarnation of the Doctor at some point in those incarnations because of the way that it's written, you know, because of their, their interactions and because of the way that they pick at each other. And, you know, the, you have the serious incarnation and you have the brooding incarnation and you have, you know, and you can see there's a little bit of the third doctor here. There's a little bit of the second doctor here. There's a little bit of the first doctor here, you know, and, and it, it's just written in such a way so that you just feel all of those different incarnations coming into the, the picture. The way you know? that the way that 11, 10 and the war doctor play off of each other is very similar to the way that one, two and three played off of each other in the three doctors. Right. Uh, if you want to make a correlation, of course, the war doctor is the first doctor. Uh, Matt Smith, 11 is going to be the second doctor and then David Tennant is going to be the third doctor if you wanted to correlate the, those together. The, the heroic doctor. Right, know. the heroic doctor. The, the, man, the man of action. Yes. Know. If you wanted to correlate those to each other. But yeah, that, that would be how you would do that. But yeah, the, the way they interact is very similar to the way that the interaction was done in back in the three doctors. But you can even feel p- bits and pieces in there that have, you know, a feel like, you know, this piece feels like Sylvester McCoy and mm-hmm. this piece, you know, feels like, you know, and, and it just feels like you can, you know, it, it, even at some point, it almost feels like you can feel Christopher Eccleston in there somewhere, you know, even though he's not in the movie. Right. You know, or in the episode, you know, it just there's little bits and pieces that make you feel like that, you know, this this character from the beginning. And it's all this one person and you know, and it it doesn't make it ends up at, by the end of it. You don't feel like it's multiple personalities or anything like that. You just feel like it's all this one person and this one person is so important to you because, you know, he he. he basically has been one of your heroes since you were a child all the way up through adulthood, mm-hmm. you know, and at least that's the way it felt for me because, you know, I, I started all the way back, you know, when I was like seven or eight years old. And so for me, it, it had a completely different feeling, I think, than somebody uh, who maybe had only watched one season, you know, yeah. and I'm not saying that to take away from somebody that's a new fan. I'm saying that, you know, it's like going back and watching, Something like Empire Strikes Back, you know, Empire Strikes Back came out when I was, I think, seven, maybe something like that. Mm-hmm. And so when, when I'm when I'm watching Empire Strikes Back, it makes me feel like 
that seven-year-old again, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it brings back those memories of my childhood, and that's what this that's what this episode does for me. You yeah. Know. Uh, so give us a rating. <laughs> I'm going to give it a 10. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to give it a 10 because, I mean, I'm not saying that it's 100% perfect across the board, but to me it's perfect, you know. Mm-hmm. it to, to me it's perfect, and that's what matters to me, you know. And I, I'm sure you can go in and pick up, pick things apart about it all all day long if you want to. But to me, it's perfect. So that's what matters to me. Yeah, uh, I'm not going to disagree with you. I'm, I'm going to give it a ten as well. This is this is one of my favorite favorite episodes of Doctor Who ever. Um, and it's be, to be perfectly honest, it's because that we get all of them. Yeah. We get all it's of because them. it has Tom Baker in it's it. It's got all of them. It's got Tom Baker back. I mean, but as I, I, I said earlier, though, my, my favorite portion of this is when they're all saving Gallifrey. Don't get me wrong; right. I love I love seeing the great curator, and you know, I, I do I use his "Who knows" line all the time. You'll 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 pick that up uh, quite a bit. But <laughs> it, it's it's that sequence where they're all there working together to save Gallifrey, and we get. All of them. When I I went and I saw this in the theater when it was first released, um, you know, for that special event uh, release that they did. And I went and I saw it there. And when that part happened, we heard the first Doctor and then we got to see everybody showing up. I nearly lost it. You know, I, you, I was on the verge of just shouting out in excitement in the middle of a theater. Uh, you know, it it was see that's that's where I started crying again. Yeah. So you know, <laughs> where you start crying, I'm getting ready to just like freak out in excitement and you know, uh, just <laughs> completely uh, dissolve into a puddle of uh, fanboy goo over here. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I, so I'm going to give it a, a a ten as well. Yeah, there's no way that I can't get this. There, again. there are just certain things that strike me with so much excitement and so much emotion that I just can't hold it in, and that's that's when the tears start coming out. So you know, yeah. I can't help it. It's just the way I'm built. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, well, Daleks not incredibly, incredibly prevalent, but they're sort of the underlying menace of the whole thing because they're the ones that are destroying Gallifrey and. Saving Gallifrey is the the ultimate goal of this episode, uh, so that's why we decided to include this in our Dalek episode reviews. Um, yeah, we said it before. We know that this is technically not a Dalek heavy story, but this the Daleks are the cause of the Time War, and this is our only opportunity to talk about the Time War in the TV show. Yeah, so you just give us this one, guys. Right, right. <laughs> so yeah, that's. That's why we put it here. Uh, we've got one more Dalek story episode to review before we transition on to something else, but that will not be our next episode. Our next episode is going to be our 50th episode, and we're still figuring out what we want to do there. We're going we're gonna to do something different, something a little bit more special uh, for us. Then episode 51 will wrap up our Dalek episode reviews. Now, what happens next is up to you. We have a poll, a survey posted on our social media um, and we'll make sure that gets pinned 
to the top of the page on our Facebook page and I have to look into if Twitter can do that or not. Maybe, maybe not. If not, I'll keep trying to repost it on our Twitter account. Uh, but this survey asks a couple of questions, but most importantly uh, for the upcoming episodes is what villain do you want us to talk about next? Uh, Cyberman or the Master? Personally, I want Cyberman. <laughs> Personally, I want the Master. Yes, well, <laughs> I think we could get through all the Cybermen episodes before the new season starts. I can't say the same about the Master. Um, anyway. <laughs> but yes, uh, there's a couple of other questions on there that we would be very uh, happy to have you guys uh, answer those as well. Um, so episode 51, we'll wrap up our Dalek story reviews. We may slip in a new, you know, a, a character episode or something uh, in after that before we kick off the next story reviews. But we're still figuring all that out. But we want your thoughts on where we should go next. So please, uh, if you follow us on social media at all, go take that survey. Give us your thoughts. We want to know where you want the show to go. And then, of course, you can also interact with us on our social media, which is facebook.com slash talking time lords. Our Twitter handle is at talking time lord. You can always email us at talking time lords at gmail.com. Uh, our website, our TARDIS on the internet, is talking time lords.com. So check that out if you want links to all of our past episodes or links to all of our social media, because that's where that is. And then please, please leave us a rating and review on iTunes, in particular, folks, or anywhere you find us, but particularly iTunes. We would greatly, greatly appreciate that. The, the, more, the, the more good reviews we get, the, the better uh, visibility we have for other people to find out about us. Yes. So you're, you know, the more reviews you give us, the more you help us out uh, in, in introducing us to other listeners. Yes. And it's free. It is. You know, it costs you, what, 30 seconds? So. <laughs> yes, that is true. Just just saying. Don't forget to check out our Patreon. Yes. At patreon.com slash thunderquack. Drop a couple dollars uh, to help us, you know, continue to upgrade our equipment and things like that so that we can bring you better and better and better quality episodes uh, in the future. Yeah, that, that also helps to pay for the website hosting and all that fun stuff as well. Yes. So if you like our website, you know, throw a couple of dollars in there and that will help us keep it. Yes. Something like that. <laughs> all right. Well, I think that wraps up this episode of Talking Time Wars. This has been episode number 49, The Day of the Doctor, Story Review. For Paul, I'm Jason. And remember, until next time... May you hope far-flung hopes and dream impossible dreams. Thanks, guys. Allons-y! Well, for goodness sake, Gallifrey stands! Geronimo! There. Talking Time Lords is a proud member of the Thunderquack Podcast Network. Visit thunderquack.com to see their entire catalog of podcasts. Or visit patreon.com slash thunderquack to help support the shows.
think that I think that'll wrap up this episode of Talking Time Lords. This has been episode number forty nine, the Day of the Daleks story review. For Paul, I'm Jason. What? Wow. The day, the day of the Daleks story day review. Day of the Daleks. Mm, let me try that again. <laughs> okay, sorry. That's the wrong episode. <laughs> I just saw Day of the and there's Day of the Daleks over there. Anyway, that's the wrong episode. <laughs> he has third Doctor on the brain, guys. Yeah, I've got I've got Planet of Spiders to finish, and then I'm on to Tom Baker. So, uh, anyway. <laughs>